0: I'm wearing a backpack, did you notice that? I'll <laughs> be wondering why. Uh, this, I was thinking, what's the very best gift Sabrina has ever given me? This right here. This is like, this was the perfect gift. Uh, this is the Barney's Hunter backpack. And if you're serious about hunting, you need one of these things. <laughs> I would like to just, uh, you want one of these things. <laughs> I just want to point out some things. This has got some thick, stiff padding, so you could be laden down with moose meat, for example, and still be comfortable. It has got strong buckles with all kinds of adjustments. I mean, you can just adjust things all over the place to get it just right for you. I want to draw your attention to the many pockets. Here on this side, we've got a long pocket for your water bottle and your binoculars and, and uh, somewhere your bullet shells are going to go. You've got, lots of, uh, got locket, lots of pockets here. You've got this easily accessible large exterior pocket for your lunch or your Bible. <laughs> I'll need that here in a moment. You've got another nice pocket right, right out here. And then this just giant Uh, internal main compartment where I have, a couple different times, put an entire uh, bone in hindquarter of a moose. That's how big this thing is. And then uh, staggered under its weight to the nearby waiting super cub. My brother flies to pick up all my animals. So, anyways, this right here, this was like the perfect gift when I opened this thing, it was a thrill to receive, and I know it gave Sabrina a ton of joy to give me. Because, here's why. This gift right here shouted, I've been thinking about you. I was touched. Actually, I was loving the backpack. Uh, but it did. I mean, this is not something she just ran down to the store and grabbed at the last moment. She'd been hearing me talk about, oh, there's this incredible backpack. I wish I had it someday. Uh, and, but she had to go to friends and family and say, what is Mike? When, when Mike talks about this great backpack, what is he talking about? And they had to tell her exactly what it was and where she could go uh, uh, buy it. And so this, this gift just said, I've been thinking about you. It was the perfect gift. I'm going to pass it around. <laughs> So you can touch it. You know, Jesus Christ is going to return someday. And the question I want us to grapple with this morning is, what are we going to point to when he returns as evidence that we've been thinking about him while he was gone? Stop that. Okay, Chris tells me to stop that, so we're done. It could be slightly distracting. And create covetousness. We don't want to do that. Okay, so we are in a in a series. Uh, we started last week a series on First uh, Thessalonians, which is a letter that the that Paul and Silas and Timothy wrote to the Christians in Thessalonica, a new church. And in in this letter, uh, they tell the Thessalonians that when Jesus returns, uh, one of the They're going to point to the Thessalonians and their faith in Jesus as evidence that they've been thinking about Christ while he was away. So, if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to start with the last two verses. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. What I hear Paul saying is, uh, when Christ returns, we're going to point to you and your faith in Christ as evidence that we've been thinking about you, Jesus, while you were away. As evidence that we've been faithful to the calling that you gave us, that we've been about your business. And, And when Christ returns... Uh, we're going we're to have a lot of joy in being able to point to you Thessalonians. It's going to be a crown of boasting. It's going to be our, our glory. And so I read this and I think, uh, what is it that I'm going to point to when Christ returns as evidence that I've been thinking about him while he's been away? Now, I've been thinking about this all week, but that's the question I pose to you today and I'd like you to wrestle with. For Paul, for Silas, for Timothy, it's people. People that he has influenced for Christ while he had time on this earth. And people are what lasts forever. And so really the question is who? Who am I going to point to? Who have I had a godly influence on while I lived in this this life? Chapter 2 is all about what Paul, Silas, and Timothy did very practically, to have an influence, a godly influence on the Thessalonians. And of course, everything in Scripture is written down uh, for our instruction and encouragement. And so what I want to do today is just look at their example. What did they do uh, to have an influence, a godly influence on the Thessalonians? And let's learn from it. You ready to do that? All right. Well, let's start in verse 13. First thing I want to point out is that a godly influence springs from a... Pure motivation. Uh, We can desire to have influence and seek to have influence in people's lives for impure reasons. But for Paul, Silas, and Timothy, their motivation was pure. Verse 3. For our appeal does not spring from error. What is error? It's the opposite of truth. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they, they said, we're going to limit our influence to the gospel, to what Jesus has taught us. We're going to stick to the word of God as we seek to uh, influence you. Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity. What is impurity? Think about mixed metals. A pure metal has no other foreign metals uh, in it. I think what Paul and Silas and Timothy are saying is, Our motivations are pure. Uh, It's not partly for your benefit, partly for God's glory, and partly for our gain. It's 100% for God's glory and your good. Our motivations are pure. Our appeal does not spring from any attempt to deceive. Sometimes we can so elevate the, uh, the desire to influence that we will use any tactics and unrighteous tactics, Uh, rhetorical tricks to get people to uh, follow or do what we want them to do, half-truths. But not Paul, Silas, and Timothy. No, our influence was without any attempt to deceive. We were totally honest, straight up. We said it like it is, and uh, we weren't going to Uh, employ any rhetorical tricks to influence you. Verse 5, for we never came with words of flattery. What is flattery? Flattery is sticking to the positives, to what you know people want to hear, so that they're happy with you. But how do you talk about sin? How do you talk about the wrath of God? How do you talk about the coming judgment? How do you talk about the need to change if you're going to stick to flattery? We didn't just, we didn't come to you with words of flatter. We we told you the truth, even when it hurt. As you know, nor, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. A pretext for greed. I'm going to seek to have influence in your life so that maybe you will do something for me in return. I'm going to cultivate this relationship because uh, you own the super cub and maybe when I'm out hunting, you'll come pick up my moose. You know, there's a reason the Bible says uh, do not give preference to the rich within the church. It's not saying ignore the the rich, but don't give them preferential treatment. Why would we need to be told that? Because God knows our hearts. <laughs> and we might say, okay, who am I going to influence for Christ? Oh, well, that person's pretty wealthy. or She's quite attractive. Or he's eligible. And I'll just uh, I'll put my influence there because of what it might turn around to, to gain me. Nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or others. They weren't trying to be influential so that the Thessalonians thought highly of them or that other people uh, thought of them as super spiritual, as impressive. Well, why did they do it? What was their motivation? Verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy said, our motivation for coming to you with the gospel, our motivation for praying for you, the reason we're writing this letter, the reason we are so... um, intentional about trying to influence you towards Christ, our motivation is truly for God's glory and your good, not for how it's going to benefit us and serve us. Man, what a challenge. What a challenge. Can we say with integrity, that's my motivation. When I seek to influence someone for Christ, it's truly for for their good and for God's glory and not, not for what it can do for me. So their motivations were pure, but godly influence also employs honorable methods. What is our methodology? It needs to be honorable. Verse 7, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Paul was an apostle, and he could have thrown his weight around. He could have made demands upon this Christian community as an apostle. He had authority. He had some rights as an apostle. But he chose not to um, demand those. But rather he was gentle, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And that, that image is one of uh, a nursing mother. What does she do? She, she leverages all of her power for the benefit of the little kid. She serves. She's a giver, not a taker. Verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you. And then at the end of that verse, you had become very dear to us. Uh, Paul, Silas, Timothy, they opened their hearts to the Thessalonians. Uh, They didn't maintain a, a distance, an emotional distance. They let their hearts get intertwined and wrapped up with the Thessalonians. They cared. You became very dear to us. We were affectionately desirous of you. You want to have godly influence in somebody's life, start truly caring for them. They'll sense that, and they'll respond. He continues, We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Wow. Wow. Uh, we, weren't, we weren't going to just limit our giving to uh, knowledge, but we opened our entire lives and said, uh, we're, we've given you a heart. We're going to invite you into our life. We're going to share our lives with you. I think about uh, Scott Spooner, who's now uh, on staff with Young Life. And Young Life, he goes into Diamond High School, and I know there are some of you who volunteer with him. They go into D- Diamond High School, and uh, Young Life wisely says, uh, first off, you've got to have a relationship. You've got to give these uh, high schoolers your time and your energy. They need to know that you care about them. You've got to share yourself with them. And then out of that relationship, you will have opportunities to influence. Hey, that comes right out of the scripture, doesn't it? But I tell you, if, if we want to maintain an emotional distance and... Uh, the degree to which we try to limit our connection, well, it's going to limit our influence, isn't it? But the, will, the, the, the degree to which we're just willing to open our hearts and open our lives and say, hey, come, be a part of my life. I care for you. Uh, you, you will have influence if you're willing to do that. Verse 9, for you remember, brothers... Our labor and toil, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. thought about skipping this verse. But Paul, he was a tent maker. That was actually funny. You'll get that in a second. Paul was a tent maker. And uh, Paul, often when he would come to a city to evangelize it, um, he would... work his trade to provide for himself and sometimes provide for those that were on his mission team. Now, he could have asked the uh, Christian community in Thessalonica, this new church that he was planting, to financially support him so that he'd have more time to be about uh, the mission. But he didn't. He chose to provide for himself. Why? Well, he was trying to make a point. And the point was, you know what? You want to influence people, you got to be a giver, not a taker. You've got to be willing to work hard. And he wanted to set a precedent and set a standard uh, for Christian people. You know what? We're not lazy. We're hardworking. And people, people are important enough to labor for. Now, elsewhere he said, hey, to the churches, he advised them, pay for your pastors. And that's the text that I really want us to sit on today. No, not really. But, but here he's saying, you know what? You want to influence people? It takes some effort. It doesn't just automatically happen. It's intentionality. It takes hard work. Toil. Night and day. Let's skip Moving on. Verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. Holy, set apart for God. Righteous, conforming to the... uh, God's God's righteous standards, blameless. Nobody could, nobody could uh, find fault with the way they interacted with the Thessalonians. Neither their motivations nor their conduct. For you know, verse 11, how like a father with his children, here's another metaphor, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We exhorted each one of you. To exhort is to say, let me paint a picture for your best life. When we exhort our children, we say, listen, I've got some experience. I can tell you where true life can be found. How, you know, how to live your life in a way that leads to fulfillment and blessing. That's exhortation. Then there's encouragement. and Encouragement says you can do it. With God's Holy Spirit within you and the grace of God, you can do it. Okay, you didn't do it perfectly today. That's all right. Get back up. Keep going. You can do this. God will help you. And then there is charging. And charging says, don't blow it. (laughs) Don't fail to do that. Don't look somewhere else. Trust God. Do it his way. So we, we took time to walk through this in some detail just to make the point that uh, the, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy had a tremendous influence in the lives of the Thessalonians, but it, it didn't just happen, did it? It was intentional. It was, took effort. It, it, it required opening their, their hearts up and their lives up. I mean, they were, well, they were in it. Their motivations were for God's glory and the other's good. And so, no wonder they had influence. And so here's a, an example for us, a picture for us, uh, and in challenge for us. Do we want to have godly influence in people's lives? That's what it takes. If we're willing to do that, we will. And I'll tell you, when Christ returns, I want to be able to point to some people and say, Lord, he's evidence. Right there is some evidence that I was thinking about you while you were gone. That I was about your business. Why? Because it's going to be something we that that will bring great joy. It'll be a crown of boasting. It's going to be that'll be a wonderful thing. So uh, I was uh, on the internet and I saw it. somebody had posted online this question: you know, Who's most influenced you, uh, your walk for Christ? And I don't want to share. Um, the response that a gal by the name of Kathy Joy gave. So the question: Who has most influenced your walk with Jesus? Karen Joy. I'm sorry, Karen Joy. Here's how she responded. She she listed three people. First is Arlene Hammonds. Arlene Hammonds led me to Jesus when I was four, and she was a consistent, caring, godly influence on me as the children's pastor of the church I attended. Number two, my current pastors, Dennis, Nancy Bournes. Now, when I first met them, they weren't pastors. They were just the parents of a friend of mine. And they opened their home to me, she said. And her own family was highly dysfunctional. And so she would come and stay with them for weeks at a time and receive great godly counseling. She says, I absolutely credit any spiritual maturity and mental health to Dennis and Nancy's influence in my life. Wow. And then finally, Kathy Beal. Her pursuit of Jesus, her gentle but real godliness, her humility before the Father, her humor have all greatly influenced me, and I love her deeply. And so I read this, and I thought, you know what? Uh, when Christ returns, Arlene Hammonds, Dennis and Nancy Bournes, Kathy Beal, and I'm sure others are going to be able to point to Karen Joy and say, she's, she's evidence, Lord, that I was thinking about you. Who are we going to point to? Who are we going to point to? I was thinking about uh, the people who have influenced me. I mean, it's countless. There are going to be a whole lot of fingers pointed toward me uh, when Christ returns. And rightfully so. I am a product of a whole lot of people's intentional influence. What a privilege. What a privilege we have. I just, I, I'm constantly staggered that God allows us to be co Co-workers with him in this uh, spreading of the gospel and this eternally significant um, task of of influencing people spiritually. And you do not have to be a pastor. (laughs) Let me be very, very clear. You do not have to be a pastor to have godly influence on people. In fact, there are lots of people who won't be touched and won't be influenced unless it's out there beyond the four walls of the church. And God has placed you strategically in your school, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your uh, uh, in your workplace, He's strategically placed you to have influence, but you got to step into it. Let me share one more text. You know, it's uh, unfortunately it's it's possible to uh, spend our lives on things that don't matter. It's possible to waste our life. That's what the Bible says, and that's kind of tragic. Um, In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this is the Apostle Paul. He's talking to another group of Christians on whom he's had influence. And here's what he tells them. If I can get there. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Let each of you... Take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So he's saying, okay, he's talking to Christians and people that he has led to the Lord. Uh, I laid a foundation of faith in Jesus, but now you're going to build on that foundation. Make sure that you use materials that last. On the day of judgment, when Christ searches the motivations of the heart and all that we've done, uh, what we've done that was for the Lord will last. But there's a lot of stuff that could just burn up. Make sure that you're building upon you know your your faith in Christ, with materials that will last. He goes on. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So these are, these are Christians. They have faith in Jesus. They're going to heaven. But the, the, the idea is that there might be some Christians who get to heaven and they've got nothing to show for their lives. They have nothing to point to and say, "Look, there's evidence that I was thinking about you, Jesus. There's evidence that I lived my life as a Christian well and strategically and in a way that mattered." There it's possible according to Paul there might be some Christians who they they make it into heaven but they've got nothing to show for it. Nothing to joy in, nothing to glory in, nothing to boast in. Is that sad? I don't want to be that kind of person. I want something to show for my life, something that for all eternity uh, I can point to. What are we going to point to? So I was just thinking, there are so many different ways that we can have godly influence in people's lives. Uh, The question's not, Are there opportunities? Am I going to step into those opportunities? Uh, So you think about, you know, the church exists to influence people for Christ. So anything you do that contributes to uh, the church uh, mission growing and uh, sustaining, setting up, tearing down, music team, working and volunteering in children's ministries, hospitality, everything, journey groups. Tremendous ways to have influence. Outside the walls of the church, all kinds of opportunities. Uh, You think of Young Life, Young Lives, Campus Crusade for Christ, um, the uh, Children's Ministry, what's it called? Child Evangelism Fellowship, Downtown Soup Kitchen, Priceless Ministry. I mean, uh, Love Inc. There are just so many opportunities to, to have godly influence in people's lives, but we've got to step into that. Final verse I want to focus this on and, and then conclude. Final verse is this, chapter 2, verse 17, Paul says, uh, We were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart. And we remember from Acts 17 that uh, Paul and Silas got kicked out of Thessalonica. Uh, there was a big um, a brouhaha, and uh, they, got sort of, yeah, they got kicked out of town. And we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. But here's the key. But Satan hindered us. Satan did not want Paul and Silas to get back to Thessalonica because he didn't want them to have influence on any more people. Satan wants to hinder you from having godly influence. And I I read this and think, you know what I love is that uh, even though Paul and Silas were not able to get back to Thessalonica in person, they prayed for the Thessalonians regularly. We're constantly praying for you. They sent Timothy as their kind of emissary to go check in with the Christians and encourage them. They wrote a letter. They wanted to have influence and they were not going to be hindered. What might the evil one be using in our lives to hinder us from having godly influence? Might it be we're too busy? Might it be that our priorities are out of balance or out of whack? Might it be that we say, you know what, if I'm going to have a godly influence, I know I'm going to have to change some of my behavior. It might be that you say, if I want to have any more influence in that person's life, I know I've got to go say I'm Sorry. Don't let the evil one hinder your ability to have godly influence in people's lives. Because you know what? When Christ returns, what's going to matter? What's going to matter is the stuff that lasts forever, and that's people. And our influence on people. Let's pray. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Thank you. We can we could so easily lose our way and become confused about... Uh, how to live, but you have clarified it for us through your word. Thank you. God, we marvel at the fact that you invite us to participate in this eternally significant work of influencing people spiritually, pointing them toward Christ, leading them to Christ, encouraging their faith, praying for them. Lord, may we prioritize properly this uh, influencing of others for you. And step into it fully. That we will break through the uh, attempts of the evil one to hinder. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.